0: life if you give your heart and believe what he's done for you you'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through you'll be for life I want to talk to you about what I used to do for a living in radio and I worked for this company that did dispatching for for trucks and And a dispatch person would sit at the computer and they would click, click, click. And the computer would talk to this uh, radio modem that would put data out over the air. And it would talk to the trucks that were out there doing the work. And one time I got called to go up to uh, the other side of Texas because a dispatch computer had broke. And the dispatch girl was, oh, she was just in tears because her world was absolute chaos. And so she had to take all the, the calls that were coming in by phone. And she had a cell phone. She had a company phone that had maybe two or three lines on it, and they were all going off like crazy. She was writing on a notebook pad. She had Post-it notes. She was going nuts. But I showed up, and I said, hey, I've, I've got a new computer for you here. And she flipped out. Well, not right now. Not right now. She went crazy. And I thought, well, gosh, I got the answer, you know. I couldn't squeeze in behind her desk to replace the broken computer because of the way her desk was positioned against the wall. So I said, I've got the answer, let me in. And she goes, I can't right now, I'm too busy, I'm too busy. And she was just writing away and writing away. And I thought, if you would just, just for a second, it won't take me 30 seconds to replace this computer, I'll be real fast. She wouldn't get up. So I took my answer, my computer that I had in my hand, the answer to her trouble, and I just went off and sat down on the couch across the other side of the room and just let her sweat for a while. Well, she went on and on, another 10, 15, 20 minutes, getting worse and worse, and she was just about to cave in. So I said, hey, let me do this. And she goes, no. Apparently, she had a little more fight left in her. So I said, okay, I'm just going to take this computer, and I'm going to go back to Houston. And I walked out the door, and I was really going to leave. I was going to leave her and just let her deal with it. So she come running out the door, screaming, holler at me, where are you going? Really, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, you still think you can conquer this problem, but she couldn't. So she goes, "Okay, come back in, come back in. So I came back in, got behind the desk, and it wasn't, gosh, 30 seconds. I had that computer replaced and turned on. The computer picked up the the load, and it started taking care of everything. All she had to do was start doing a few clicks, and everything was beautiful, and her world just got so great. (laughs) You know, she wouldn't let me fix the problem. And I thought it necessary to let her sweat and even leave. I thought, well, I have no intention of helping you. If you still have more fight in you, uh, maybe I should leave until you understand you can't do it. And so upon my walking out, she realized, oh, I'm in big trouble. And then she finally come and called out to me. Well, we're going to find out about that in Mark chapter six today. A similar situation He tells the disciples to get in a boat, but Jesus is going to let them sweat this one out for a little bit to to kind of get rid of some of their their self-power. And then now in Mark 6 and 45, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. All right, as we go through this story, I want you to be very acutely aware of timestamps, biblical timestamps, because they really mean something. The first timestamp that we're given here is in verse 47. It says, now when evening came. So this means he told the disciples to get into the boat while it was still daytime outside. Uh, we don't know how far in advance of, of evening, but we know that it was the sun was up when they got on the boat, and now evening has come. Mark six and forty eight. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. Okay, here we have another timestamp. We've got the fourth watch of the night, but what is the fourth watch of the night, biblically? The watches of the night are set up as three-hour intervals. The first one is from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. That's probably when evening started. So you got 6 to 9, then you have 9 to 12, then you have 12 to 3. And so that would make the fourth watch of the night would be from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So it's about 3 a.m., maybe 4. Basically, they were out there all night. He put them in the boat to cross at daylight while the sun was still shining. But now they've been out there all night, and the sun is actually not long from rising up again. It says that Jesus saw them. He's watching. That means he's looking at them. He's watching them go through this. He saw them straining at rowing. They're straining at the oars of this boat. But that means that for the entire night, he didn't do anything about it. Do you see this? I'm not making this up, okay? He saw them straining at the oars all night long, hours and hours and hours, and he didn't do anything about it. Now, I've been to the Galilee. It's The Galilee's not real huge, if you've never been there. It's a big lake, but, you know, it's not super, super huge. You can actually see cars driving on the other side. If you stand on one side, you can see them on the other side driving around it. So to think that they had been straining all night from before evening, when it was still daylight, to at 3 to 4 a.m., maybe 6, and they couldn't even cross that because the wind was against them. So here's some guys who are working against the flow. They're trying to get somewhere with all their power, and they can't get there. Have you ever been there in a situation, you're trying to get somewhere, a goal or through something, some kind of trial, and you just can't get there. You just can't seem to make it. Now, John six nineteen speaks of this same event. And it says that they had only rowed for three or four miles. That's it. Straining all night long. And they only moved three to four miles. You got to consider that several of the guys on the boat, some of the disciples were experienced fishermen. They were handed down an experience from granddad, great granddad. Dad taught them. I mean, it's a lifelong career. They understood boats. They had experience. They knew what they were doing, but the wind was against them, and they could not reach the goal. Now, back on land again, okay? Jesus was watching them straining. And also, you consider Jesus is the one that placed them in that situation. He's the one that told them to get in the boat. He knew full well that they were out there struggling. And he also had the power to stop the wind. If he had the power to stop it, he put the wind there also, correct? So all night, I mean, are you catching the picture? He's letting them strain. He put them in that position on purpose. Why? Now it gets even better because it said, and we read it together, he would have passed them by? Pass them by? What? (laughs) You ever broke down on the side of the highway and you're out there in the middle of nowhere and here comes a car and you're like, oh, thank goodness, here here comes a car. And they just, they just go right past you and you're like, dude, really? <laughs> you're thinking you're supposed to stop and and, and help me or something? Well, we kind of do that with Jesus, don't we? We have this old Superman superhero mentality about Jesus that whenever we get in any kind of trouble, he's just supposed to, dun, 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 he's supposed to fly in there and just in the nick of time and save us before it really gets bad. You know, but guys, I don't see that happening here. They were straining at the oars all night. He put them in that boat to then watch them strain at the oars all night against wind that he had full control over. And he watched them go through this all night long, and when he walked, he would have passed them by? Guys, I mean, when you read the Bible, this is just absolutely intriguing to me. What is going on? It demands we ask, what is happening here? <laughs> so as I say, if the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're really not reading it. So I hope you're saying, Ray, give me more. Okay, good. Let's go further into this. this is getting good. Mark six forty nine, And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure, and marveled. Wow, they were troubled, it says. Well, yes. I mean, they had just burned off every ounce of strength that they had, every ounce of experience that they had. I mean, they're tired. And they had been taught their whole life how to handle boats. They knew the Sea of Galilee. They knew how things worked. They knew the currents. They knew the wind. They knew. But here's this wind against them, and they, all night they can't get anywhere, and Jesus is going to pass them? What happened? You know, they probably felt like failures because they just still could not reach their goal. They made absolutely no progress at all. You ever felt like I'm a failure? Gosh, that's where they felt right there. I have failed. I can't get where I'm trying to get to. And on top of it, here comes a ghost to get me. <laughs> Everything is against me that can possibly be against me, and I can't do anything about it. I Yeah, they were troubled, all right. And I know you've been there. And so they had just come to the terrifying realization that their best was not good enough. But friends, it's when we discover that we are not good enough is when we discover that we need a Savior. You know, you got people always telling you, oh, you're you can do it. You can do it. The triumph of the human spirit, right? No, I'm going to be the first guy to tell you you're not good enough. Because I want you to know that you need Jesus. And here comes Jesus with power and encouragement because he came to them and said, It is I, do not be afraid. And the trouble that had been so fiercely against them ceased when Jesus got into the boat. Now that's a great story, but there's something that changed here. What was the big change that happened between verse 48 and 51? What changed from the time when Jesus was intending to pass them? Remember, he wasn't going to stop. He was going to pass them by. So if he was going to pass them by, but then he ended up getting into the boat with them, something in the equation had to change somewhere. If the Lord was not intending to go to them, then how did they get to the Lord? What changed? I'll tell you what changed. The disciples are the ones that changed. If they're, path was not going to intersect with Jesus's path, then the disciples had to change and come to him. They went from fear to listening because Jesus said, have no fear. And also they went from straining at the oars, all straining all night, straining all night to making a course correction and turning. They had to turn the boat towards Jesus. Now there's a word for turn. It's rated R. It's restricted because people don't like to hear it. They don't want you to tell them about this. It's the word repent. Repent means turn. It means stop doing things your way and start doing things the Lord's way. Repent means to turn. So they had to make a course correction in their boat so that their path would intersect with Jesus. In other words, they had to stop doing things on the sea the way they had always been taught as fishermen. They had to stop And using their experience and their strength, turn to Jesus and start doing things towards him. Turning to the Lord was the pivotal point in which the whole story changed. And that's when Jesus finally acted after watching them all night. Think about it. He watched them all night, strain, strain, strain at the oars. Come on, men, put your backs into it. We can do it. And nothing changed until they repented, and turned. Then Jesus acted. Now, I want us to get a perspective here. Jesus had been available to them the whole time. It's not like he wasn't around. He was watching them. He saw them. He wasn't far away. And just that day before, the disciples had witnessed Jesus feed. He fed thousands of people with the Few fish in the loaves of bread. They knew firsthand that Jesus was well capable of performing miracles. But yet all night, (laughs) all night, they strained at the oars against the flow of the wind, hour after hour, wearing themselves out. Their experience is no good. Their strength is playing out. They're trying to fix their own problem all night, getting nowhere, making no progress, feeling like a failure when they could have called upon the Lord at any time. You hear my story about the dispatch girl relating to this story. She had me available, but she just didn't want to use me. She kept trying to do it herself. Now back to the timestamps again, because there's a stealthy timestamp in verse 49. You might have overlooked it. It says that when the disciples cried out, then immediately, immediately, Jesus said, do not be afraid. So I want you to weigh out what the difference is between all night as compared to immediately. Do you see the difference in that time? All night versus immediately. Guys, when you consider that they strained at the oars all night long, but once they cried out to Jesus, then bam, problem is solved. It's been taken care of. A part of me says, yay, Jesus. But then another part of me asks, Wait a minute, why did Jesus do nothing to help them for so long when he could have? Mm, That is quite a fair question, and it demands our observation. I'll tell you why he didn't do anything. Because man loves to boast on his own power, and the disciples, they had to be purged of their own strength. They had to be purged out of their own experience, their own way of doing things. They had to be put through weakness, keyword for the day, weakness. They had to be put through weakness so that they could recognize that they need a Savior. There you go. Now, 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Think of it crucifixion, a weakness, had to take place before salvation could come to all men, before you and I could be saved. The Lord had to go through weakness, but you can see how God's power was perfected in that crucifixion, how it was perfected in weakness for us. Now, it's like that dispatch girl. She had a death grip, the way of doing it her way, and she just wouldn't let go. Even though I was close by with the answer to all her trouble, she wouldn't let go. So I sat back and I let her strain for a while and it got worse. Yeah, it did. More calls, more post-it notes, more writing, more tears on her part. And I i had the answer right there. I was just waiting for her to call on me. I was sitting right there. She knew I could do it. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to let her sweat. And then when she decided not to let me in, I thought, well, I'm leaving. And then she really cried out. okay, But I had to let her realize she could not fix it. As long as she felt like she had control over it, she wasn't going to let me in. She had to find out she was not good enough. God's strength is made perfect in weakness. And that's why Jesus had them strain at the oars for so long. It took wind. It took time. Enough for them to realize that their own way was not good enough. We need a Savior. Took a weakness, a crucifixion to save us all. God's strength is made perfect in weakness. And so when the disciples strained at the oars against the flow of the wind all night long, that was God perfecting his strength in them. You know, when you go to fill up a bucket, I I needed a bucket the other day. I had to put something in it. Well, I went to pick up this bucket and it it was full of just junk. So I had to dump it out before I could fill it up with what I wanted to put in it. And so, you know, the Lord had to dump out their way, the disciples, Their my experience, my strength, my power. Oh, I think I can do this. He had to dump them out of their way before he could replace them and fill them back up with his way, even if it took a whole night of wind and no progress to get it done. So now I want you to turn to Matthew fourteen twenty-two because Matthew recorded a little bit more about that night than what Mark did. Let's see what it says. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith! Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, "Truly, you are the Son of God." Wow! <laughs> why does it take us this much, <laughs> this much stuff to wake up and smell the roses? You know, guys, always remember in every Bible story when you want to fault the Lord, well, why would He make them wait so long? Hey. You always remember, we're the sinner here, not him, okay? So Peter walked out to Jesus, but then he lost his focus. He lost his focus when he started looking at the wind. He probably saw the waves, and he looked at the problem. And when he looked at the problem instead of on the Lord, that's when he sank into the very trouble that he was afraid of. Friend, let me ask you a question, if I may. Is your mind always going? Round and round and round over your problems. I know there's a lot of them out there. I know you've got a lot of personal issues, as well as there are national issues and world issues. But let me ask you, does the problem keep you awake at night? Does the problem that you've been trying so hard for so long to fight against keep you up at night? Does it swim around in your head all the time, that big problem? If it does, it owns you, it owns your focus, it owns your attention, it owns every bit of energy you have, and it will sap you dry until you have nothing left. Can I make a suggestion? You need your Savior. You need Jesus Christ. Move your focus from the problem and put your focus on Jesus, and just like the text says, Immediately, when he when you cry out to Jesus, immediately He will stretch out His hand and catch you. Now you might be wondering, how come Jesus hadn't acted yet? I've been waiting on Jesus all this time. I have been straining and straining at my own oars of my own trouble, my own trial. This thing I've been going through for so long, and it's not going away. And Jesus hasn't acted yet, and I'm waiting on Jesus. Wait a minute. Perhaps. Jesus is waiting on you to get your mind, your focus, your get your faith onto him. He's waiting for you to look at him. When Peter looked at the problem, he sank into the problem. But when he cried out to Jesus, he grabbed him and said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? You know, you might be thinking that you've been waiting on Jesus. I think perhaps Jesus is waiting on you. He's watching. He's not far away. He's got power over your situation. So why am I going through it? Because he's waiting on you. As long as the problem owns you, you're going to sink in it. But as long as Peter kept his eyes where? On Jesus. He walked through the problem. He taught Peter, you need to look at me while you're having problems. Look at me. And you'll walk through it, even if they don't go away. You see, I think we often make a mistake in our prayer We always pray, oh, Lord, please just get rid of the problem. And then when he doesn't take the problem away, then we get mad at God for it. But we often say, God, when will you? When is it leaving? I want this problem out of my life. Oh, this trouble. Oh, Lord, when are you going to get the problem away? Oh, Lord, the problem, the problem, the problem, the problem, the problem, the problem. And there you go. Your focus is in the wrong place. When our prayers are all about the problem, when our prayers are all about the trouble, then that means our focus is more on the problem than it is on the Lord God. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen, set for life. You'll have all you need. Just receive with a willing heart. You'll be set for life. You'll be on your way any day you decide to start.